Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Wachiro. And on this episode, we're featuring Staying Afloat by Onoma Azua. I stood near the window of my brother's one-bedroom apartment, watching rain fall in a pound of frenzy on the village of Antoni. I'd left the window slightly open and moisture settled on my face. Waves of rain cast a grey shadow on our neighbourhood. The streets were empty of people and flooded with water. Everywhere there were pools of floating garbage. I had a women organisation event to cover as part of my freelance work and my job interview with Mr. Odere. The editor of the News Vine was for the next hour. He had warned me that I must not be late. Thirty minutes later, the rain stopped. I took my shoes off to wade through the flooded streets, cringing at every tingle of my feet. I could have set a floating snake or step on a nail. It was a relief to get into a bus. Sit down well, the conductor shrieked. I was half-sitting on the seat, trying not to wake the chubby lady sitting next to me. She was snoring. But when the conductor gave me a sharp jab in my tie with his elbow, I moved closer. The smell of fresh fish lingered around the sleeping lady. Papa Sunday, no touch me, oh, she mumbled. Oh, Shere, come I too. The yell from the bus conductor announcing where we were going woke the lady up. She wiped the drool dripping down her chin with the edge of her wrapper, sighed and sat back to make herself more comfortable. I look out through the misty window. A trunk of civil servants were waddling through puddles, shoes in hand. A sharp itch on my wet leg made me reach down to scratch. My heart was pounding violently. These days, I wake up with panic attacks. Two weeks ago, I was laid up from my job. It had been a stress-free two years as a bookstore cashier. My boss even gave me a one-room accommodation in his boys' quarters. But the wonderful two years suddenly came to an end two sunny Saturdays ago. I'd taken my bath, applied my lily-scented body lotion, and sprayed myself with my Chester perfume. I was all dressed up, ready to head to the bookstore. When Ezekiah, my boss's house help, peered through the torn curtain of my door, and told me that my boss wanted to see me. What does he want me for? I said. Ezekiah's face said nothing. The stupid boy just grinned at me. He was always giggling or grinning. Usually, I didn't mind. But that morning, I found it irritating. I wanted to wipe his grin off his face. Do you know why he wants to see me? I asked louder. Ezekiah grinned. Ezekiah has been nice to me, though. Late at night and also early in the mornings, he will sneak out steamy, delicious meals from our boss's kitchen for me. His kind gesture helped me save money on food, and I was grateful to him. The downside was that I often had to share my little room with stacks of plates until Ezekiah was finally able to fetch them. My boss constantly needed Ezekiah for one thing or the other. If they were not in Ezekiah's room chit-chatting, Ezekiah was in the kitchen cooking for him. If Ezekiah had been a woman, my boss would have probably married him. 
Something that got on my nerves was Ezekiah's constant questioning about why all my friends were girls. Don't you like men, Huoma? He would frequently ask me, Why don't you have a man to take care of you? I would laugh it off. I pushed Ezekiah aside and made for the main house. My boss was at the eating table, bare-chested. As he reached for his orange juice and napkins, his drooping belly swayed back and forth. The aroma of fried eggs and toasted bread made me drool, but I swallowed my saliva. My boss invited me to sit next to him. Ezekiah, bring a cup and a plate for Huoma. Yes, sir. I was too anxious to eat, but also too hungry to turn down the food. I took two quick bites of the toasted bread, stuffed with fried eggs, and reached for the cup of cocoa. My boss coughed, and then he announced that he has been duped of 151 million naira. He was getting ready to pack up and head to the UK to be with his family. He was not exactly sure about when he was going to leave, but he would give my last salary to Ezekiah for me. I was to check in in a couple of weeks. I choked. My boss stroked my shoulder and told me to drink some water. I coughed and gulped some more cocoa. It helped, and I cleared my throat some more. Mr. Donatus, my boss's driver, came in with a parcel. Mr. Donatus was a tall man with a strong odor of dry sweat. His deep-edged tribal mark sank into the folds of his white grin. He nodded when I greeted him. Good morning, sir, Mr. Donatus said to my boss and gave him the parcel. Without saying another word, Mr. Donatus stepped out. My boss opened the parcel and in it was words of dirty Naira notes. I was snapped out of my reverie when the boss slammed into a deep pothole and dirty water splashed up onto my forehead. It trickled down my nose, and I could smell the stench of old feces. I instantly wiped my face with both of my palms before that stuff could trickle into my mouth. As we got closer to my two, the traffic was less ethic. Overgrown grasses straddled both sides of the road, and there were fewer pedestrians. Through the window, I could see a solitary teenage girl with a tray of oranges on her head. Buy oranges, sweet oranges, she wailed. Canal, canal, the bus conductor called out. I tapped him on his shoulder to let him know that canal, which was opposite Newsvine, was my stop. The receptionist told me to wait for Mr. O'Denny, who was at a board meeting. There was another lady sitting opposite me in the waiting room. She smiled at me, and I was almost sure she winked at me. She asked me who I was waiting for. I told her. The smile on her face instantly disappeared. Who are you here for? I asked her. She ignored me and furiously chewed on her chewing gum. Ten minutes later, a young man in a dashiki walked in and asked the lady to follow him. After about what felt like hours, the young man came back to fetch me. He ushered me into Mr. Oderi's office. The windows were closed and the air conditioning humped in the background. Mr. Oderi was pacing around the huge table in the middle of his spacious office. I greeted him. He kept pacing around the table, waving his hand at the dusty chair close to the door. I sat down and waited. He finally stopped pacing around the table, walked towards me, pulled out a bunch of keys from his pocket and locked the door. My heart skipped. 
I felt my eyes open wider. I look at Mr. Odere, and I look around his office. He stretched out his hand to give me a handshake. A strong smell of sweat overed around my nose. There were brown rings of sweat on the armpit of Mr. Odere's blue shirt. Then he went and sat on his rolling chair. He placed his hands on his desk facing me. Did my wife see you when my personal assistant got you from the reception area? He said. Why? I don't know your wife. What does she look like? He pointed above his door. There was a picture up there on the wall. It was a picture of the lady in the waiting room. Yes, I said. She saw me. Leave through the back gate after this interview. Why? Just do as I say. My wife makes unnecessary trouble. But she loves women more than I do. She does? I could feel myself smiling. But why would she make trouble? Don't ask me questions. I am the person conducting the interview. I instantly wiped the smile off my face. So what qualifications do you have? Said Mr. Odenry. I have a BA in English, and I have two years of working experience. I have also done some freelance writing for some newspapers here in Lagos. You have beauty and brains. Yes. There was that smile on my face again, but it disappeared when I saw Mr. Odenry's and making a strange motion around his grown area. He seems to be slowly unzipping his trousers. All of a sudden, Mr. Odenry stood up. He dropped his trousers and hurried across the office to me with his trousers around his knees. Drop to your knees and suck me, he said. His manhood was flapping back and forth. What? I yelled. I could smell alcohol on his breath. Wasn't it too early in the morning? You think you can just walk in here and get a job? Just like that? You must be kidding, said Mr. O'Daring. I can drop down for you, he went on, if that's the way you want it. I covered my mouth with both of my hands. I could hear the rain. Mr. O'Daring dropped down on his knees and started pushing up my skirt. I wriggled out of his grip and ran across the office. What's wrong, he said. Do you think your private part are a gold mine? Do you know the number of ladies actually begged me to have them? I'm sorry, sir. I said from the other end of the office, just let me go. I don't want the job anyway. Mr. Odenry let out a loud yelp and made to grab me again. I bolted away. We ran around and around his office. Mr. Odenry got out of breath. He paused. He loosened his tie. His trousers had slipped down around his ankles. He dragged his trousers along the floor as he stumbled after me again. There was nowhere to run. So I backed myself against the wall and threw punches at him. He grabbed me. I struggled to get loose, but he held tight. His manhood was breathing on my buttocks. Then I remembered the trick I had played on one of my lecturers in a similar incident when I was an undergraduate at the University of Nigeria. During drama rehearsals, I'd learned an improvisation skill, making animal sounds, now out of my mouth. Mr. Odenry released me with lightning speed. I am no ordinary human being. I have powers. I can show you more. I broke out into piercing laughter. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'll give you the job, stammered Mr. Odenry, grabbing the Bible off his desk. He held onto his Bible with one hand and grabbed onto his trousers with the other hand. He held onto his Bible as he struggled to pull up his trousers with his one free hand. 
when he succeeded in pulling up his trousers, he stammered, Would you be so kind as to sit down? When I sat down on the chair, close to the door, he put the Bible back on his desk and buttoned up his trousers. If you break your promise to offer me a job, I will make sure you have a car wreck in six days. And if you still don't give me the job after that, you'll be afflicted with a strange illness in six weeks' time, after which you will die in six months. I yelled at him. Start work tomorrow, he pleaded. The rain had lessened to a drizzle as I stepped out of the news vine's office. But I was barely out of the gate and in the street when somebody lunged at me from behind. I was knocked down and held down. Terrified, I eat, kicked, and delivered pounding blind blows with all the power I had in me. After a short wrestle, I was able to grab onto everything. I yanked hard, and it came away in my hands. It was a woman's wig. Then the weight on me was lifted. It was Mrs. Odere. She stood up, adjusted her dress, grabbed her wig back, and hurriedly replaced it on her head. A shawo, idiot, husband snatcher, she yelled. A small crowd had gathered around us. I picked my bag up from the ground, brushed off the mud on it, and rushed away. But Mrs. Odery followed me, still calling me names. Thief! Oloshi! I frantically flagged down on Okada. The motorbike's wheel left a trail of mud on Mrs. Odery's face as we zoomed off. When I got to work at the news vine the next day, there was a note from Mr. Odery asking that I cover an event on Okwebi Allen Avenue. It is one of the busiest streets in Lagos. Most high-end companies and offices are located there. Elite's home are also located there. When I got to the address, the event was what seemed like a birthday bash. I approached one of the ladies I saw, who told me it was a convention party for the Women Against Violence Society and escorted me in. The president was in her office taking an important call from the Commissioner of Women Affairs, she told me. She invited me to sit in the large living room and said she would call the vice president to meet me while I waited. A lot of women were milling around. Most of them were quite attractive, and I tried not to stare too hard. I flipped through the bundle of magazines laid out on a side table. I was excited about my first major assignment, getting a personal interview with the president of the Women Against Violence Society would be a dream come true. When the lady came back with the vice president, my mouth fell open. It was Mrs. Odery. I leaped out and bolted out of the living room and out of the house. I ran towards the gate, but a tall, gap-toothed gate man was calling at me as he proceeded to lock the gate with a gigantic padlock. You want to go to Madame Good Good or you want to go Bad Bad, he said. His breath reek of stale cigarettes. I hide him and engage the height of the brick wall surrounding the premises. It was too high. I picked my way back to Mrs. Odering's side. For some odd reasons, she was calm. She pleaded with me to come to her office. She wanted to talk to me about something important. She said she didn't convince me. I could have sworn that she had plans to assassinate me. But I made a quick sign of the cross and followed her through the house to her office. The office looked nearly empty except for the chair beside a huge table in the middle of the room. There was only one other chair and a side table with a lamp on it. Make yourself comfortable. I sat on the chair closer to the window and looked down at my knees. It was consoling that the window was slightly open. 
Mrs. Odering perched herself on the hem of the chair I was sitting on and gawked at me. She apologized for attacking me at Newsvine. I thought you were one of the girls that threw themselves at my husband, she said. You would rather have them throw themselves at you. Well, I don't mind, she smiled. At least I'm discreet about it. I took a closer look at her. Except for the scary-looking lashes and a disheveled wig. She was not bad-looking. Curvy? She ran her long fingernails through my afro and caressed my back with her other hand. I didn't try to stop her. You could have asked me nicely. I may have obliged you, I said. There was a knock on the door. Mrs. Odenry sat up instantly and straightened her cream blouse. A tall, lanky woman who might have been in her early fifties came in. Her makeup was heavy. It made her face look like a mask. Despite that, she was a gorgeous woman with a warm smile. They said there is a journalist here waiting to interview me. Yes, I said. You are the one? She asked with an even wider smile. What's your name? Uoma. Nice name, she said. Falake, please send her to my office when she's done with you. She closed the door gently behind her. Mrs. Odeni dragged the other chair closer to mine and sat next to me. She held my hand. I really like you, she said, and kissed my hand. A lot of images ran through my mind. My former boss's sagging belly, me choking at his eating table, the smell of sweat in Mr. Odeni's office, the fight in the street with Mrs. Odeni. I pulled my hand away. Why? She asked with pleading eyes. I will pass, I said. I'm just not interested. The rain started again. It felt as if pebbles were dropping on the roof of the building. The room got darker. Mrs. Odenry kept her eyes on me, but I stood up and made for the door. Maybe the president would be a better bet. The president didn't want us to use her office for the interview. She asked if I minded going to a more comfortable place, and I didn't mind. With a large umbrella, she led me to her car and around to the passenger's side. Then she went around to the driver's side and half got in. She was about to fold up her umbrella, which was held above her, when the gateman ran out into the rain and held it for her. She thanked him and then fumbled for her purse inside a large handbag wedged between the gel levers and my seat. She gave him a 1,000 air note. The echo of, Thank you, ma! Thank you, ma! rang through the hair. Just a few houses down the same street, we pulled into a modest house with a well-trimmed edges. The president said it was a guest house. Inside was a lavished, well-furnished living room. I hesitated before stepping onto the rug and pulled off my shoes. She dropped her handbag on the longest couch in the room and excused herself. Right opposite me was a mini bar. I sat back and inhaled the most pleasant rose fragrance I've ever experienced. Within minutes, Madam President was out. She had on a yellow free-flowing gown. Are you hungry? She asked. Not really. I wouldn't mind a drink, though. Wine, malt, soft drink. Wine would be perfect. White, red, red. She invited me to her bar and told me about all the types of wine, their history and why older wines taste the best. I was impressed with her knowledge of wine. She poured some wine for me and we settled into the interview. She told me to take my time. She would drop me off if it got too late or I could sleep over. For some reason, I couldn't look straight into her eyes. The radiance of her beautiful face seems too bright to behold. Maybe it was the wine, but I hadn't drunk that much. I tried to pull myself together. 
Her name was Gloria, which she insisted I call her. She was a single mother. She had schooled and lived in the U.S. for years before deciding to come home and give back. Gloria asked me about myself, where I was from, what I had studied at the university, how long I had been a journalist, my plans, and if I enjoyed my job. My eyes darted around. They went everywhere except to her face. At a point, I started slurring my words. She asked if I was all right. I didn't respond. So she knelt before me and held my face. I don't know where I found the courage, but I gave her a lingering kiss. I think the light in the room dimmed at that moment. When I left the next morning, I was wasted. Gloria desperately wanted to take me home, but I refused. I was too embarrassed to spend another minute in her presence, but I loved the glow in my grand area. I wobbled my way to Okwebi Island Junction to find a bus back to Antony. There was no bus in sight. I had reluctantly decided to go back to Gloria's cozy guest house when the car swung towards me. It on bled so loudly that I covered my hairs with both hands. It was Mr. Donatus, my former boss's driver. I must have passed out in the car because the next thing I knew, Mr. Donatus was gently pulling at me to get out. We were at my brother's apartment in Antony. I looked around for my handbag. My notebook was the only thing that stared back at me from the car seat. I had no money with me. I remembered refusing to take the thick fold of money Gloria had offered me. I panicked. I didn't want to see her again, not so soon. Maybe in a few days, when I would have cleared my head. Mr. Donatus was already zooming off when I waved at him to stop. I could get my salary from Ezekiah, I had realized. Mr. Donatus frowned when I asked him to drop me off at my boss's place. He had errands to run and I delayed him enough, he said. We were barely at my former boss's gate when Mr. Donatus took off again, with one of my legs only just out of the car. I wanted to yell at him, but I changed my mind. He had done me a favor. I almost knocked my knuckles out of my former boss's front door, yet nobody responded, so I decided to try Ezekiah's room. I hadn't quite reached his door when I heard groans and moans. At first, I thought somebody was hurting Ezekiah, but I listened, and it sounded more pleasurable than painful. Did Ezekiah have the nerve to bring girls to his room? I tiptoed to the window. I took a peek. I saw my boss, and Ezekiah was kneeling. Staying Afloat was read to you by Ayokomi. Unoma Azua teaches writing at the Illinois Institute of Art in Chicago, Illinois. Her research focus is on queer theory, and her recent book project is Blessed Body, Secret Lives of the Nigerian LGBT. Some of her writing awards include the Idu Snyder Book Award, Spectrum Book Award, and the Hellman Hammett Award. I'd like to thank the African Voices Dubbing Company, AVDC, for making this recording possible. AVDC specializes in high-quality dubbing of film and television content into various African languages and dialects. To know more about their work, visit them on dubbingafrica.com. Nipe Stories is available to download wherever you get your podcasts from. Please do me a favor, write a review and rate the podcast so that others can find us easily. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story, and on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore Story. We're taking a short break, but Nipe Story will be back in August. Thanks for all the support. We'll see you then. Nipe Story is a finger piano production. <laughs>